Well, good morning, church. I hope you have as much energy for our time together as they do this morning. I almost got taken out here over here this morning, but it is good to be. What does it look like? What does it mean to build our life on Christ, the firm foundation? What does it look like to do that over the long haul? You know, one of the things that makes us ask that question and for me has pressed me into that question has been a season of milestones, a season of milestones, of life events that are sort of the big ones, right? The big life events. And we've been through a number of those. And you could probably think in your own life about times and milestones that you've walked through. You know, the birthdays that end in zero about a year ago. I had that one, the four zero, right? Maybe it's a, a job transition. I've had one of those in the last year as well. We've also had some key milestones in the lives of our kids. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like when my kids go through milestones, that's where I really feel my age a little bit, right? We've had 16 and driver's license and high school graduations and sending a kid off to college. And that's all in the last 13 months. And then next week, Bethy and I will celebrate 20 years married together, which is an exciting thing. Thank you for that. We're excited. I think about, when I think about anniversaries, I always remember my, my grandfather who's now with Jesus. And uh, I, I think it was, he, it was not a joke original to him, but I always remember him saying it. Uh, he said it was 45 of the best years of his life and that wasn't bad out of 50. And that was sort of his, his thing that I always remember him saying that. And it's kind of a truth. We've been reflecting on that in our own our marriage, the, the peaks and the valleys and the things that we've walked through and the fact that we're not who we were and where do we wanna keep going and what do we wanna be about and like. And, and milestones are a chance for us to one, to rejoice for sure, but also to reflect. And the fact that you're here today means that God has been faithful to you. I may not feel that way right now, but God has been faithful to every single one of us in incredible ways. And milestones are one of those times when we kind of look back from the mountaintop and we kind of say and see the way that God's been faithful to us. And it's also a time where we recalibrate. And so as I've been thinking in this last year a lot, because I've had basically all these milestones, I've just been eating cake for an entire year. That's sort of been what it's like for me. But um, I've been thinking a lot, like, God, what does it mean to live a life of faithfulness in the long haul? What is it? I want to be someone who continues to have a fervor for you, that continues to change and to grow. And, and uh, uh, there's kind of two passages in Scripture that have kind of been the theme of this season in my life. And I want to share one of you them with you today. And that is Psalm 1. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Psalm 1. And the question really for me has been this word, this word that's come to the surface is this idea of what does it mean to live an evergreen life? That 20 years from now that I'd have more love for my wife, that I have more love for my kids and more than anything, more love for my God. What, did, what would that look like? And I think that today we're going to discover some truth from Scripture that will hopefully help illuminate that reality for us. Psalm 1, right at the beginning of the songbook of Scripture, this beautiful portrait. And Dallas Willard said it this way, if you bury yourself in the Psalms, you will emerge knowing God and understanding life. The Psalms are a great place to go, a refuge for many of us in different seasons of life, different milestones, to experience emerging, knowing God and understanding life. Just remember that these songs really were the oral tradition. This was, they were written at a time when people didn't have very many written copies of what God had done. And so these songs that were actually sung by the Israelites carried forth the fullness of who God was and what it looked like to live a life in response to him. I want to say it this way today. The Psalms are a symphony of God's unfathomable transcendence 
His intimate presence and the full breadth of human life. And now there's a lot of big words in there, but let me break it down for you. The symphony, first of all, it's a mingling together. Just like today as the worship team sang, they weren't all singing the same parts. They weren't all playing the same instruments, but these different things come together to form a beautiful symphony. And what comes together? Well, one of the things that we see throughout the Psalms, and we're going to see it today, is this, that God is transcendent. He's unfathomably transcendent. What do I mean by that? He's holy. It is good news for you and me that God is not like us. Amen? It is good news. Aren't you glad that God's not like you, right? Some of you gave a little heartier amen than others. That's all right. It's good news. And this is the God that we see in Scripture. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He is above. And this is a time in our lives, I think in our world right now, where we need some things that are transcendent. And we have a God who's transcendent. But he's not just a God who's holy. Throughout the Psalms, we also see a God who is intimately concerned with the affairs of men and women like you and me. God is near to those who will seek him. And that's a beautiful, beautiful truth that we see fully in Christ himself. But we also see that throughout the Psalms. And then finally, we see the full breadth of human life. No matter how you come in here today, if you're feeling defeated or victorious, if you're feeling depressed, or if you've had the best week of your life, guess what? You will find, if you search the Psalms, the full breadth of human reality. All the emotions that we experience in our lives are represented in this book. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to consider. And so I want to read for you today Psalm 1, and then we're going to explore some ideas from this this morning. Psalm 1, the word of the Lord this morning. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The first big idea I want us to consider this morning is this question. What is our place and our posture? What is your place and your posture? And what do I mean by that today? I don't, I mean, some of you sat up straight when I said that. Not that actual posture, not this actual physical place, not State Street in Concord, but your spiritual being, your soul, your mind, body, and soul, your existence in relation to the creator God who made you and knows you and loves you and pursues you, what is your place and your posture? And if you notice in the psalm here that it uses language that talks about your place and your posture. It begins with this poetic device, this triad, these three things that it kind of builds upon. It says this, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked,' nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Notice the place and the posture, walks, stands, and sits. Now there's a presumption here. The presumption is that wicked and evil does exist in the world. And then we also notice this, that there's this build, walk, 
stand, sit. It is a progressive reality. Walk, stand, sit. There's an increasing intensity and increasing loyalty with each of these responses to evil. Maybe you've heard it said this way before. Have you ever heard somebody say something like, they fell into sin? Have you heard that? Yeah? I want to propose something today. I don't think most people fall into sin. I don't think they fall. I think that we walk into it and that we sit in it. This is what scripture tells us here, that there's this pattern. We, we rarely fall into sin. We walk into it, we stand in it, and then ultimately we sit down at the table. Now, perhaps there are cases, exceptions to this idea, but I think the principle of scripture here is that sin Evil in our lives, it's often progressive. That it often, just like our sanctification in Christ, meaning the way that we become more like Christ as followers of him, is something that grows over time. The stranglehold of sin in our lives often will get more and more intense. We walk in earshot of sin, we stand in it, and then we pull up a chair to the table of destruction. Here's the truth. Nobody falls into embezzlement, right? <laughs> you don't fall into it. I mean, it's been in the news this week, right? Another large company, an FTX crisis here. Uh, let me break some news to you. That did not happen in a day, all right? No, that did not happen. There were people, and this can happen to us, so we don't want to just externalize it, but there were small compromises that were made at the beginning, right? There was a, a walking in it. There was an entertainment of like, you know what? I think that this possible that we could get away with some things here, or I could get away with some things here. And then there was sort of a posture of like, well, let's just try it out. Maybe we'll do some small compromises. We'll kind of skim off the top. And then eventually, like sin does, you pull up a chair to the table and you destroy your company and people's lives. That happens. Few people say one day they don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what I really want to do today? I want to destroy my marriage. That is my goal today. I didn't think of it before now, but uh, this is the goal for my day. No, that's not what happens. What happens for us, and for all of us, I want to say in any of these things, there's God's grace is sufficient for you. But what happens for us in the pattern, and, and let it be a warning to all of us, is that first we walk in a place, maybe we start to entertain in our mind discontentment in an unholy way. Maybe we start to listen to people and surround ourselves with other people who are not, when we complain, they're not pushing us back towards the covenant of our marriage, but they're actually affirming us in an unholy direction. And then we stand in the possibility of it, and then we pull up a chair to the table and destroy the covenant of marriage. You can even apply, I mean, those are sort of big things. I think some of the more refined things that, that hits home for me a lot is none of us fall into bitterness. You don't fall into bitterness one day. You don't wake up one day and find yourself bitter. No, what happens is that you walk in entertaining thoughts of injustice in your life, that you become a victim in your own mind in an unholy way, and you start to stand in anger, which was one of the things in, in my younger life that just had a, a vice grip on me, and then you sit down and you become a destructive force in the relationships around you. This is the way that sin works. But friends, there's good news because the psalmist reminds us that there is a better way. There's a hopeful truth, a way of life, a fruitful and flourishing path, this evergreen way that is available to you and to me. And rather than walking, standing, and sitting in wickedness, we can delight in the Lord. 
And it says actually that we get to delight in the law of the Lord, delight in scripture, and we can meditate on it day and night. If we want to thrive in the place of this world and have our posture transformed and pleasing to God, then the next thing that we need to consider is what is our source? What is your source? What is the wellspring of truth, of reality? What anchors your soul? What is the thing that defines who God is, who defines who you are? That the frame that you live in, the thing that you think about, and the thing that you think through, is it the law of the Lord? Is it scripture itself that does that? Scripture is our source and our sustenance. And I, I hear this thing, I don't know how you respond to this today. Yes, I, I believe that with all my heart, but when I hear this idea of we need to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, it feels a little bit intense. It feels a little bit like, what are we supposed to do here? Are we supposed to, you know, grab Nate, go grab a couple cabins up at Berea and start a monastery up there, the Centerpoint Monastery, and we're just going to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night? Is that what, what God's calling us to do? And I think we know that the answer to that is no. Thinking back to high school, I was a, a very active athlete. If there was a ball and a scoreboard, you'd usually find me there. The Needham boys were competitive. That was a, always a truth. And I don't know about you, but I miss that phase of life where I could eat an entire bag of Doritos and then run a 5K. Um, that's not my metabolism at this phase of my life, uh, but that was really nice, and I enjoyed that. And in my 20s, I stayed pretty active. My kids were young. And, um, but then, you know, as my kids get older, and some of you can relate to this, all of a sudden, you're just bringing them to their sporting events. Um, you're like an unpaid Uber driver that's just shuttling around the schedules of your children. And all of a sudden, I kind of got into my mid-30s, and I'm realizing, like, man, I am not as healthy as I once was. And my pattern, like many of us, was that I'd kind of just throw down the gauntlet one day and say, all right, it ends now. And I would go and find the most intense workout program that has ever been created in the history of workout programs. And I'd just be like, I'm going from zero to 150. Like that is my plan. And uh, some of you remember these things. P90X was a big one, right? And uh, you know, I, I started, I did like a, you know, three weeks of that, like 10 times. One of the programs was called Insanity. The name of it was Insanity. Like that was the name of the program. And I did, that was what I would do. And one of my favorite comedians, uh, Nate Bargatze, he talks about, you know, when we want to get back into shape, we think, what are the Navy SEALs doing now? You know, that's what our first thought is, uh, you know, that's where I should start. So, you know, the pattern, and this plays out for a lot of us, and we can relate to this. I get new shoes, new gym clothes, and, uh, but it never, it never really stuck, right? I come out with good intentions. It's the same reason that every gym in this county will be packed on January 1st, and you will find plenty of open treadmills and plenty of open parking on February 1st, right? That is why that is true. And, and speaking of milestones, I, I could see that I was, I was getting close to 40, and you know, this is back in the middle of the pandemic when all of us were mastering sourdough bread, right? So that was like the phase of life we were in, and uh, which was really great for physical health. And uh, I decided it was like Tiger King and sourdough. That was what that was our lives. Um, and I decided to make a change. And, and the biggest thing that I decided to do is I said, you know what? And this is probably maturity. But I said, you know, what? I'm not going to think about the five pounds. I'm going to think about the next five years. I'm going to stop thinking about these, these short-term goals, these short-term objectives, I'm gonna start asking myself questions like, what would be the rhythms and the patterns, not the crash diets, not the hardcore and then quit, what would be the small deposits that I need to make every single day if I wanted to live a more healthy life? 
and imperfectly and continuingly imperfectly, that has been a game changer for me. And friends, I want to encourage you, no matter where you are today in your spiritual journey, if you're here today and you've not been in church for a long time, if you're here today and you've been following Jesus for a long time, the invitation is the same. Meditating on the law of the Lord day and night means to walk with God, to take the next step with him. And some of us in our spiritual life do the same thing we do in our physical life, right? We have started the read through your Bible every single year, and we've made it to Leviticus a bunch of times, right? That has been our pattern. And God's not mad with you if that's your story. That's okay. But I want to tell you, even in my spiritual life, I started to recalibrate. And I've read through the Bible, and, and I've lived, grown up in the church. But I just decided I'm going to build some different type of habits and, and rhythms in my life. And so for it's coming up on two years. I have a, a year left. I just said, you know what? Every day I'm going to do two things. I'm going to read one chapter of Scripture at least, and I'm going to journal one page. Read one passage of Scripture, one chapter, and journal every day. And it has been so life-giving. And, and I'm not saying that's the way you need to do it, okay? Just like physical fitness, every one of us, some of us are wired to run, some of us are wired to walk. It's okay. Do, but I would ask you that, tell you this. You need to find a way to daily meditate on the, the law of the Lord. And, and I want to encourage you that today, today that if, if one chapter a day, maybe not read through the Bible. If you did one chapter a day, it would be read through the Bible in about three years. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. So in just over three years, you can read through the entire Bible if you just read one chapter a day. Because friends, what it really comes down to is small, consistent investments, daily deposits will bring us to a point where we can actually delight in the law of the Lord. It's helped me to find joy in it. The person whose delight and meditation is on scripture, whose source is the living word of God, it says that they're like a tree that's planted by streams of water. None of us are going home today to watch the trees grow, right? Nobody's going, you know, that's what I'm going to spend this afternoon doing. I'm going to go out back and I'm going to watch the trees grow. No, that's not what we do, right? That would be, we may, you know, we think people who hug trees are crazy. People who watch trees are even more crazy, okay? That's not what happens. And that's what we want in our lives. We want instant results. We want microwave Christianity. We want to see maturity on the fast track. But the psalmist says, no, it's not like that. It's much more like a tree, a tree is something that takes years to grow. A tree is something that takes decades to become impressive. A tree's growth and change is so small, so incremental, that we cannot see it with our eye. It's because it's not about our speed, it's about our source. I challenge you today, how are you doing? Are you trying to find this shortcut to spiritual maturity? It's not a formula. If it was a formula, it might be something like this. Spiritual maturity is the product of time, the presence and power of God. Add in a whole bunch of suffering. Some more time. Long seasons of mundane faithfulness, spiritual community, some more time, prayer, and then add some time. That's what it looks like. 
And the good news for all of us is that God is inviting us to play the long game. God is inviting you and he is inviting me to play the long game. Not to waste our days, but to take one step every single day in pursuit of him. One step and then another step and then another step. That our source would be the living God through his living word. When we have the right source, we will have the right kind of success. And that's the next thing I want to think about today. What is our success? Verse 3. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And it does, its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. It's a, a contrast here of the tree that bears fruit and is faithful and the short-term wheat that comes up, grows fast, and then dies. The righteous life and the unrighteous life. And a critical question in all of our lives is this. How do we define success? Every human is grappling with that question. And there are many false answers in this world. But even as those who would say that we're following God, we need to make sure that we ask this question, what is God's definition of success? Not the churchy definition of success. What is God's definition of what it means to live a successful life? Do we define success God's way? But I think that there's a really beautiful answer here in this psalm. What is success in God's economy? It is this. Yields its fruit in season. That is faithfulness. And a leaf that does not wither. That is faithfulness. Fruitfulness and faithfulness is at the very heart of God's definition of a successful life. A prospering tree sourced by the living water, healthy, cannot help but grow fruit. And the fruit of a faithful life, as Eugene Peterson coined, is the long obedience in the same direction. This is God's picture of success. I want us to take a moment today, though, just to think about what is fruit in relation to the tree? And what is fruit in relation to our lives with God? And I want us to think about this First of all, individually, I want you to think about what is fruit in your life. And then I also want us to think about it as a community, as Centerpoint Church, what does it mean to be a faithful and fruitful community of people? What is fruit in relation to the tree? I have an apple tree in my front yard. Um, the first year I lived there, I didn't really put off many apples. This year, I don't know what it was, but it was just putting off apples all the time. And uh, it was it's pretty awesome to be able to walk out in your front yard and just grab an apple. Um, and uh, the thing is this, though. Every time I'd go out to that tree and I'd take a, an apple off the tree, the tree was not wounded. It was not compromised. It was not unable to live. Now, if I had taken an ax to its roots, it would be compromised. If I had not allowed the leaf to engage with the sun, it would not be able to thrive. But the fruit itself is a, is a byproduct. It's not actually what makes the tree able to live itself. And in our lives and as a community of faith, the thing I want us to think about this is this. Fruit is not for the tree. It is a gift for the benefit of others and for multiplication. The fruit of our lives is actually not for us. 
It's a gift for other people to enjoy and experience. And just like an apple has the meat of the apple, that when you bite into it is sweet, it also has the seed of the apple. And what is the point of the seed of the fruit? It is to multiply. Is that other people would know and follow Jesus because of our lives. This is the reality of being a disciple maker. This is the reality of being a disciple making community. That we would live not for ourselves, to the glory of God, for the benefit of others, and for the generations to come. That is what it is all about. Who embodies that in your life? If you had to think about someone who embodied a faithful and fruitful life, who would that be that come to mind? I know one person that comes to mind for me right away. One of my dearest mentors and spiritual fathers is a guy named Peter Vitello. Peter was my youth pastor growing up. When I was young in the faith and I remember I barely knew how to, on the guitar, switch between two different chords. And he pulled me aside and said, Andy, you are now a worship leader. I was not a worship leader. But he just spoke that truth over me and saw in me and called out. And there's many stories that I could share about Peter. He was the best man in my wedding and has been a great example of faith. And he's not the most exceptional speaker I've ever heard in my life. He's not a celebrity Christian. In fact, for 20 years... Not long after I got out of high school, he took a pastorate in Wilton, New Hampshire at a small church there. And he has faithfully pastored this small community, faithful to the scriptures, delighting in the law of the Lord. And at times there's been seasons where there's been clear fruit. There's been lots of people. And other times the pandemic in particular for this country church was incredibly painful and difficult. And they got down to a handful of people. I often will call and interact with Peter and just encourage him. And I got to preach this very message at their church just a few weeks ago. And one of the things as I came to this idea and this point was to think about the fruit of this mentor's life and, and to want to be that person. I remember when we first had kids, I remember something really weird happened with my parents. They loved me for sure, I knew, but there was something about grandchildren that were just different. I know this because in my home growing up, it was Cheerios and Kicks. And when my kids went to grandma's house, it was Fruit Loops and Apple Jacks, all right? I do not know how that happened. I didn't know that my mom knew those cereals existed when I was a child. But there was just something different about that experience. And, and I, I, I think that there's something, you know, I, I, again, I think my parents loved me, but there was something even more powerful about them seeing their grandchildren. And some of you who are in that season of life know what I'm talking about, and you've experienced that. And why is that true? Well, it's the same reason I could look at my mentor Peter's ministry and think about the fruit of his life. And for all of us, I just want to encourage you today that maybe the most impactful fruit of your lives will actually grow on other people's trees that we may not get to see, the Bible says often that we will only see in part, we see what, who God is and what he's doing in part, but your faithfulness and your fruitfulness in many areas of life, as a, as a parent to young children wondering in the mundane, ordinary of every day, what is the point of what I'm doing? God is producing a tree that's deeply rooted that will produce fruit. 
in showing up faithfully in a job that's not perfect, in a workplace that's far from God, with people who have no idea who Jesus is, and living in integrity when it would be easy to compromise, God is producing in your life a fruit of faithfulness that we will not even fully be able to see or understand. And in a church like this, the way that we orient ourselves, the way that we model, even in hard times and hard realities, what grace looks like, what a posture, not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of our community and for the many communities here in New Hampshire that have no gospel witness in them. What could God do over time if we would faithfully be fruitful for him? What is our place, our posture? What is our source and how do we define success? You know, there's one other big thing that we need to talk about here, which is that we can't do this on our own. Let's pray. No, just kidding. <laughs> you don't have the power to do this on your own. If we stopped here, we'd have some good truth, some good wisdom, but there's a danger here that this could easily become three questions to ask to have a better life and not really understand the full heart of God, the full picture of Scripture, and really the good news of the kingdom that Jesus brought about. 